Bring them out, bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. It's hard to yell when the bat rails in your mouth. Woo! Bring them out, bring them out. 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 Welcome to the Fantasy Football Fiend Podcast with your hosts, Zay, Young Vander, and Roja. Bonjour, konnichiwa, hola, utenteg, and what's poppin'? Welcome back to the best new fantasy football podcast on the air. The Fantasy Football Fiend Podcast presented to you by Manscaped. I'm your host, Zay. As always, I have my guys with me. Holla at your people, bro, Joe. What's going on, Fantasy Fiend family? And my main man, Young Vander, holla at the people, Young Vander. Fantasy things, what's going on out there? We have an amazing show in store for you today. News and notes that you can use. Your RB tiers part two, that'll be tier six through eight, and the tight end tier. So you guys are definitely going to be able to use the information that you get today to further yourself towards your championship aspirations. Quick reminder, get your 20% off at manscaped.com plus free shipping with promo code FEINGS, F-E-I-N-S. The Lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer that I literally have ever used. No nicks, no patches, waterproof. It does everything you need it to do. The deodorant, it's just all kind of goodies that that we can now pamper ourselves with. Uh, But make sure that you get that 20% off deal plus the free shipping, which makes it closer to 30% off. Um, If you're looking for us at our social media locations, Facebook, we are the Fantasy Football Fiend Family Facebook group. On IG, we are Fantasy Football Fiend and Twitter, Fantasy underscore fiend if you're looking for any advertisements any spots anything like that fantasy football fiend at gmail again f-e-i-n fiend let's go ahead and get started with your news and now your fantasy news All right. All right. So to kick off the news, we have a quarterback that is dealing with a little bit of an issue here. Matthew Stafford of the Los Angeles Rams is supposedly dealing with some type of uh, elbow tendonitis. He isn't going to be doing very much throwing, doing practice or doing the preseason. I'm not exactly sure how bad tendonitis can get or how bearable it needs to be for a quarterback, but it doesn't sound like something that is going to be going away anytime soon. Vanders, I know you played football and Joe, I know you look on Twitter all the time about the different doctors and everything out there and what they have to say. Either one of you guys have a read on what the severity of this Matthew Stafford situation may end up looking like? It's it's something to watch. You know what I mean? I would just, you know, stay tuned. As far as him missing time or games or things of that nature, I don't see that. Uh, Matthew Stafford is one of the tougher quarterbacks we got in this league. Last year, he played through injury, kind of some of the same thing. So I think it's just a pain tolerance type of thing at this point. Similar to a baseball injury. You see most of these things in base baseball pitchers like that. But uh, I don't think it's any uh, reason to go out, grab the backup, anything like that. I think he'll be fine. It's just going to be pain tolerance and maintenance at this point. What I've gathered so far is just to kind of follow up with that. They're going to uh, heavily monitor the situation 
and all looks of it, they might just shut them down to about September or so. It's looking here that they said about their goals would be about September 8th. So just heavily evaluate this week to week, honestly, because it's not much information on it other than it's considered serious, but he is more so uh, the pain tolerance and really how he'll operate with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it kind of like, you know, if, if it was as serious as it could be, they probably would have gone ahead and, and made some other type of a move. Like you don't bring that team back together to try to run it back with John Wolford as your quarterback. So if it was anything to be concerned about as far as missing games or anything like that, I think they probably would have already made some other moves just to cover their bases. But just something to keep in mind as we go along. Over in Buffalo, Isaiah McKenzie is currently working ahead of Crowder now. So we remember that Crowder was uh, the starting slot guy. He got a little ticky-tack injury, uh, Jameson did, that kind of caused Isaiah to be able to shine a little bit because, you know, whoever's out there is the one that's getting that rapport. And Crowder is now back from that injury that he suffered. But Isaiah McKenzie, as of the last couple of days, is still working with the first team. Now, the beat writer there, Joe Buscalia, he's saying that it, it might be a sign of where the competition stands, but more likely than not, it's just a matter of them working Crowder in gingerly back from his injury. But situation to monitor, especially when you're looking at those sleepers and those back end of the draft guys that uh, you may be able to have kind of a dart throw at, whoever ends up being that third starter outside of uh, Gabriel Davis and uh, Diggs, I would definitely look at them as been a dart throw for that last, you know, uh, wide receiver spot on the tail end of your bench, because I do believe that Buffalo will be putting up quite a bit of points, but just something to monitor there. The Falcons are taking it easy on Cordero Patterson. He admitted that he was a little banged up and uh, unable to play the way he wanted to by the tail end of last season. So he's kind of admitting what we all saw. He started out hot and then as they kind of used him to do everything, the, the wide receiver, the running back. The, I think he even threw, threw the ball a few times. He, he was just kind of gassed. So they're trying to monitor his touches. I'm not exactly sure how this is going to play out as far as the number of touches that he gets in comparison to the rookie Tyler Allegier. But based on this, it kind of looks like it's going to be that Melvin Gordon Williams type of a situation. I think the rookie is more built for the position. I mean, he's really a running back where Cordero, think about it. I mean, his first few years in the league, he wasn't even starting at receiver. He's been more known for a special teams guy. True. true. So when you you bump that up, I mean, you bump the number of touches up from being four a game <laughs> to, <laughs> to 20 to 20 a game. You know, it's you're going to feel it. You know, you're definitely going to This ain't high school anymore. You know, in high school, you play all these positions and it's cool, but it's the league and you're going to feel the bumps and bruises as the, the year go on and I don't think it's going to be a Gordon Williams situation. Me personally, I think it's going to be a bigger gap than that. I think okay. um, it's been some good uh, reviews from Tyler in camp thus far. And if he goes into preseason, looks well, I think he'll kind of roll into the season to be the main guy. I don't really see this being a 50-50 split because, again, you're not a running back. You're a wide receiver disguised as a running back who really was a special teams guy disguised as a receiver. Like I think eventually Tyler would be the man there. And they're going to find ways to get him the ball because in space, I mean, Cordell Patterson is good in space. He's used to returning the ball. That's what a kick return is, somebody that can run in space. You know, they're used to that. 
it's like this game used to play back in the day called we used to call it busting nuts. And in, in many neighborhoods it's different, you know. And many neighborhoods it's called differently. But basically the game is you hoop the ball in the air. The man with the ball. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, hoop yeah. the man in the ball. <laughs> you hoop the air in the ball. The ball in the air. Whoever catches it, everybody's trying to tackle this one person. You know what I mean? So playing that game growing up for me as a kid kind of helps you out when you as a return man, basically. So he used to run in a, around a bunch of guys or whatever. But that being said, nah, I think um, Allegier would be the guy to go for me personally. Sounds like Allegier may be one of those uh, sleepers that we be talking about on next week between the sleepers and the values. He definitely falls in line with both of those schools of thought, if you will. We have a signing that happened. Deontay Johnson, wide receiver for Pittsburgh, he signed a two-year $36 million extension. Now, the deal locks in the team's target leader through 2024, allowing him to hit the open market just ahead of, just ahead of age 29. So he's kind of doing the same thing that a few of the other receivers did, kind of taking a shorter deal and then having um, having the, the ability to get at least one more deal as far as finishing out um, his career. It just depends on how long he goes. Most wide receivers, 32 to 34-ish before they really start to decline. And if you're not best of the best, people kind of quit calling for you. But I'm not exactly sure what this means now for either. Well, actually, it doesn't mean much anything for Pickens. He was just drafted. But this may mean a little something as far as Mapletron, um, <laughs> Chase Claypool is concerned, because I don't see Pitt keeping all of the, they They very seldomly keep all of the wide receivers that they've developed. They normally develop a new guy and kick the can down the road as far as one of the older guys is concerned. Johnson just got an extension, which now makes the only other person that, unless he's willing to take a serious pay cut, when his contract comes around, maybe Chase Claypool has now officially you know, been put on notice that you're either going to ball out this year or you're going to take a serious pay cut or Pickens is going to take over your job. Yeah, I think it was stupid by Deontay to take this deal. Uh, when you look at it, <laughs> in all, he's going to be the 17th uh, ranked paid receiver in the league. And if I, if anything, I'd rather him had took a chance on free agency where he would have got a lot more guaranteed because $27 million only puts him about $13.5 a year. So like when you're looking at the numbers, he helped them more than you know the other way around. And if for them to pay yeah. J.J. Watt – more than market value. I mean, JJ is impeccable, but I thought Deontay would be worth a little bit more than this deal. And I think Deontay must have got scared because of every the track record they have at paying receivers. I think he should have bet on himself. But to your point, um, Claypool really has to deliver, or he's going to be like Martavius Bryant in a sense where we know the potential, we see the potential, but you're not a fit, you got to go. And he has all the tools to be you know, one of the best receivers in the game. I'm, I'm sad he called himself the third best already, but um, that's far from the truth. But I don't like this deal for Deontay. I really think he just – he should have bet on himself. Like I said, 18 – like ranked at the 17th receiver as far as money is like crazy if you're trying to reset the market. Real quick, I agree totally, man. If you let Christian Kirk get that kind of money, come on, man. <laughs> True. All right. <laughs> That's all need to be said about that. But the the writing been on the wall here when the Steelers at the draft and they draft two guys, like the two wide receivers, like the writing's on the wall for Claypool. And come to word, come out of camp, both of these rookies are like tearing up the camp right now. Both Pickens and uh, and and Austin. So they both are like, so it's, it's looking real mm, cloudy over there for him. So 
I can very well see I can very well see this being his last year as a Pittsburgh still, to be honest with you. We have A.J. Dillon over in Green Bay, who has apparently improved upon his pass-catching acumen over the offseason per head coach Matt LaFleur. Now, here's the thing. Really, the only thing that was missing from his repertoire was the improving upon the cast-catching ability. Now that he has that, and he's, in my opinion, as good of a runner and better on the goal line than Aaron Jones, and you can draft him a couple to a few rounds later than you can Aaron Jones, is this going to be the year where we see the guy who is behind the quote-unquote starter not only be more valuable based on where you can draft him, but also be more valuable based on where he ends up by the end of the year based on how they're going to be utilizing? Or do we think that we're still a year away, kind of the way you guys kind of indicated about the Denver situation, that it'll be one more year before Williams really starts to take the range? Do we see the same thing in Green Bay, or is this Dylan's year? No, I think this is Dylan year right here because you got to understand the, the the type of output he has had with the minimum amount of snaps and touches. And now they're talking about increasing that. So with the increase, you should expect more production, especially losing someone like a Devontae Adams. I think this offense is kind of going to change a little bit, maybe go back a little bit more to what LaFleur is more accustomed to. So I could definitely see this more looking more like the Cleveland Browns, if that makes sense. When you've seen uh, how Chubb and Kareem Hunt operated uh, about two years ago, I think you can see that type of um, offense here in Green Bay where they're not going to really rely so much on Aaron Rodgers. I think they're really going to really run this ball um, out of the backfield. So I think this is the year for Dylan. I think we're right on time, right on schedule. Yeah, and I'm glad, Van, you said mostly everything I was going to say. But to take it a step further, you're looking at him already having a 43% uh, snap share and for them both to average 1,100 scrimmage yards and over nine-plus touchdowns each, and he only had 43%. Like you said, he's only going to get more value. Going back to what I've shared in the past, LaFleur only praises this guy more and more and more and more and more. Like I said, for it to already have been 1,100 scrimmage yards and nine-plus touchdowns, how much more value can this kid get to pay dividends? It really does sound like it might be the Cleveland situation all over again, where you might end up having two RB1s for the same team, um, especially with the fact that now both of them are pass catchers. You might see both of them out there on the field quite a bit together. So that'll right. be interesting to see in Green Bay. In Philly, Devonta Smith has a minor injury. Well, we hope it's minor at least, but he's dealing with a little bit of a growing injury. Now, the thing with these growing injuries is they can end up lingering because I remember this time last year, the Washington Commanders were indicating that what's my boy from? He, I can't remember his name right now. He's a Buckeye. Curtis he Samuel. That, yeah, Curtis Samuel had the groin injury, and it was supposed to be minor, but it ended up pretty much taking away his entire season. That thing just kept flaring up every time he tried to get out on the field. I hope that's not the case for Devonta Smith, but again, a situation to monitor. There is a little bit of time prior to. The season's starting up, but that groin injury and those hamstring injuries tend to to linger. Those are the ones that I, you know, I hate hearing about the most because you can't make a definitive decision to just, you know, bypass the guy because he's going to be in there at some point, hopefully. But unlike an ACL or or an Achilles or anything like that, you can't just completely discard him and say, okay, let me turn left because I can't go right anymore. So that that'll be something to keep an eye on. At this point in time down in Carolina, it is not definitive who the starting quarterback is going to be. Right now, 
Mayfield and Darnold are both kind of alternating with the first team reps. So head coach Matt Rule says that he'll let the competition play out rather than anointing any one person as the starter. Right now, the expectation is that Mayfield will nine times out of 10 eventually win out. But this is a true competition. So I don't know if that says more about the state of quarterback play in Carolina or if maybe Sam Donald has picked up a thing or two. He's been, you know, looking kind of sharp in practice in comparison. So do you guys still believe that this is a true competition or are we just waiting for the word that Baker's going to be the starting quarterback? I honestly think that preseason is going to really tell the tale of this thing. We all know Donald is the camp warrior, those great practice players. Baker has had some bad throws, but he also has some great throws as well, from what I've been reading. And I think the preseason is going to really tell who's going to be the starter in this game. If, if he go out there and stink it up in the preseason, there's no way they're going to throw him in the field as a starter, and vice versa. So I really think it's a real quarterback competition. You know what I mean? So I think the preseason will, they both going to get some work in this preseason. And I think that's going to tell who the starter is going to be this year. I don't know. I think they might come to regret giving up so much to go and get Sam Darnold. Rule is, I can, you can already tell when Rule's under pressure, he makes the dumbest moves ever. From him getting rid of Joe Brady after one season, which I think was stupid because Ben McAdoo's not going to really do anything, to now getting Baker out of desperation for his job, bringing back Cam Newton. It's, it's like, dude, like, get it together. Um, Sam Darnold, because I try to keep up with these practices as much as possible, he's looking good, but that's the story that it's always been as far as Kemp's concerned, even going back to last season. I think he's gonna. He has the tangibles. I don't know what it is when it comes to playing the actual game when the bullets are real, that he kind of dwindles. As far as Baker Mayfield, like you said, you you get those flash plays uh, from him, but he is having a terrible time, and it didn't help. Like I was saying before in our chat, that J.C. Horn just came off the pup a couple of days ago. So if you're throwing picks left and right, and now you get your best corner back back a couple of days ago. And you still haven't got it together. I don't. I don't know what to say. But also to another point, he kind of gets off on the slow end of training camp, and then kind of gets in his groove. I'm not saying his groove is great, but he does find himself um, playing okay or good. I don't know. I don't. I, I think he's a horrible quarterback. From my, what I'm understanding, like we know to kind of expect this from track camp from him, but that's not good when you know you have a rookie quarterback and Darnold already playing better than you. word out of San Francisco is Brandon Ayuk is having an outstanding camp right now the school of thought is Brandon Ayuk's skill set can be utilized a little bit more with the quarterback style of play of Trey Lance in comparison to the play it to the vest uh play it a little bit closer to the vest style of Jimmy Garoppolo so there have been several crazy you know over 40, 50 yard deep bombs that Ayuk has been the recipient of. And this guy's currently ranked wide receiver 42. So I'm thinking that this is going to be one of the guys that you can get to kind of fill in your bench that can easily end up being a starter for you after you make trades or um, whatever other maneuvers may be going on, whether it be injury. But right now, Ayuk is showing improvement in camp, and it looks like he has the better chemistry with Trey Lance as opposed to Debo Samuel, which is not to say that they aren't going to give uh, Debo his just due um, along with George Kittle. But right now, the camp superstar is Ayuk. And in years past, it was the exact opposite story. 
it was the coaches are disappointed in what he's showing in camp, which is probably going to lead to him not being utilized very much on the field come game time. This just may be that year for him. I believe he's going into year three, which we kind of got spoiled with a few other wide receivers that kind of break out year one, second half of year one. But the norm has been that they kind of get the game down and they come out year three with guns a blazing. So don't forget about this guy. Vander, what you got on your boy? It's kind of one of those things like I want to see it happen in real game. You know what I mean? Um, you hear a lot of these camp stories year to year. Oh, this guy, he's nobody can hold him. You know, last year I heard it about uh, Peoples Jones. I mean, when Peoples Jones was the star of Brown's camp, he was he was killing them boys. Like, they couldn't do nothing with him. And I think this is another one of those situations where it sounds cool, but I want to see it happen in real live game action. Even though I think Trey Lance's skill set may fit Ayuka a little better as far as stretching the field, something that Jimmy G doesn't do well, throwing the deep ball. I, right now, it's, it don't mean much. I have high hopes for him. Hopefully this is because last year, everybody thought Ayuka was going to be his year last year and Debo kind of popped out of nowhere. I got to see it. I just got to see it before I, you know. Camp stories don't really do much for me, to be honest with you, man. Like when it comes to a lot of these wide receivers, I got to see it on the field. I completely agree. The only time a camp story does kind of stand out is when we have new players that haven't been on the field themselves. So just the fact that this is kind of Trey Lance's first go around as far as camp is concerned, and he's showing a little bit of relationship, if you will, with IU, that gives me the notion that he's going to outplay the current ADP of wide receiver 42. So I just kind of think he's going to have a little bit of value there, especially if you're just talking about a dart throw for you know, bye weeks and things of that nature are, are a backup. If you give me a guy that has the upside to be able to go get a 50, 60 yard bomb, I'd rather have that guy than depending on the guy that without volume, he's probably going to put up four or five points unless he gets lucky. I agree with what you, everything you just said, Zay, where you, and also what Van is saying, like you kind of got to see it to believe it. To what you first said about Jimmy G describing him, Jimmy G only knew Kittle and Samuel. Mayuka was pretty much in the doghouse in addition to Jimmy G already playing that way, but we saw those few games where Trey Lance was on the field. He favored Ayuk quite a bit and got him involved in the offense, but we have to see it now that, you know, as a full-time starter, I'm glad they didn't working together, which kind of could lead to that. Not talking about anything pertaining to training camp. I like his ADP too. I like the value. Over in Indy, it's been said that Naheem Hines is going to have a larger role. And his coach actually said something that I like. His coach said, if I were you, I would draft him in fantasy. Most coaches are like, I hate fantasy. I don't give a damn about it. Da, 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 da. This dude said, don't sleep on Naeem Hines. In game action, we've seen him do some amazing things. And he's the pass catcher out of the group. Maybe they're going to try to, you know, extend JT's longevity, if you will. Give Hines, who is a very much capable back, a little bit more run. I kind of like the fact that the coach was kind of in tune with today's world, knowing that the NFL has quite a bit more money due to fantasy and kind of understands what it takes to be a good running back in fantasy. And based on his comments, he's basically saying this guy's going to get enough volume and he's going to catch enough passes to be well worth more than his current RB4 target price. That sounds good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we all know Naheem is a, is a great talent. Uh, maybe similar to uh, uh, Tony Pollard, you know what I'm saying? But great comp, yeah. When, I like when you when you have JT back there, man, it's hard. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's hard to share. You know what I'm saying? Like this kind of guy they don't have is a slot wide receiver that stays healthy. That that's where he probably make his money at. 
if he could get on the field at the same time with Taylor out there playing in the slot, catching balls, because he's he's that good of a receiver. Yeah, I think at that point, yeah, we, we definitely could see something. But, man, when you got the best running back in the league in the backfield, it's hard to have him on the bench to put this guy in to really get to get those touches. So, but I still could see Hines. He, he still could get eight to ten touches a game. I can see that. And a guy like him, he can make the best of it. Yep. Like you said, he's a top level uh, top level receiver out the backfield. If he get five pass uh, five passes caught in 50 yards, just scrimmage yards, however however he gets them. That, mm-hmm. That's a double digit guy that you got towards the tail end of the draft. So it's PPR is going to be his bag more so Most than else, but So when you hear this uh, conversation, if you're in the standard lead, don't think about it. No. Um no. He, but definitely in the PPR. Not even point, as a handcuff to JT, I don't think. Right. Right, but definitely in the PPR, yeah, he, he can definitely be gold. He, he's going to have those weeks. He's going to have those weeks where he, you know, maybe catch 80 yards and two touchdowns out of the backfield very easily. He, so. He's James White, but with yeah. a, a lot less talent in the backfield with him. Well, not, not not as far as JT is concerned, but, I mean, just the sheer number of people that are going to be run out. If Hines was on, like, there's a, there's a lot of teams out here in the league. If he was on their team, I mean, we'd be really talking about something. You brought <laughs> up the Patriots, you know what I'm saying? He, he definitely got that. He probably better than James White. You know what I'm saying? Like he got that ability. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of teams, if he was on their team, he would be PPR gold. But you stuck know who behind. I could really see him being if he was given the opportunity? Austin Eckler. Same skill set. Look, look at what Eckler did behind Melvin Gordon. We w- we would have never thought of him to be what he is now. He didn't show it. Naeem Hines is actually showing it, but he's they, just behind they, a much they actually match. They're actually about the same size. So that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm, they, they, yeah, they, I'm cool they, with that. I'm cool with that. I think Eckler may be a better runner of the ball out of the backfield, or what you think about that? Like it's a, a possibility, better. but I think yeah. because of his catching acumen for fantasy purposes, I think they, they could put up similar numbers if he had a similar workload. But, you know, who who knows what may happen? They, they've already brought in a few other running backs. And I want to say Hines is up for contract next year. So Dynasty guys, I mean, this may be a guy that you can get for next to nothing. And then he turns into being someone's 1A, 1B type situation as far as running back is concerned for another team if he chooses not to stay in Indy. But maybe he wants to stay you know, where, where he can remain healthy and be behind that offensive line. And, you know, I think sometimes because of fantasy, we make the mistake of thinking that everyone in the NFL wants to be utilized to the umpteenth degree. But most of them would prefer to have two or three contracts versus being burned out in their first because they were used so much. So there's that part, too. Moving on to the New Orleans Saints, Jameis Winston seems to be over his knee injury. So head coach Dennis Allen, which Sounds kind of funny to say I'm so used to Sean Payton, but head coach Dennis Allen said that QB Jameis Winston's surgically repaired knee is no longer a concern at all. His direct quote was, I think we're past the point where we're trying to have a maintenance plan on the knee. He's in a good spot here. So Winston may be one of those guys that based on the injury talk throughout the offseason that you're getting at a serious discount. Looking at his weapons, man, like I don't see how he doesn't outperform, barring injury that is, I don't see how he doesn't outperform his ADP. Like Winston may be one of those guys that I kind of look for because I don't go quarterback early. I think he's going to be more than serviceable especially when Kamara gets back. This is going to be a guy that I'm probably targeting in my uh, redraft leagues. Yeah, I can see that. We're still trying to figure out the news on Kamara. I mean, because is this guy going to play? Is he going to be suspended? A lot of people are saying with the court being pushed back, 
he could very well play week one if the commission don't put him on the exempt list. You know what I mean? So commissioner got a lot going on right now. So maybe maybe he kind of slide through. All that's going to really play a part because he's more way more dangerous with Kamara on the field than off the field. I'm not very familiar with and maybe Joe has a little more insight on Pete Pete Carmichael's offense. I don't know what kind of offense this is because I've seen two. Jameis's. I mean, I see Jameis play more reserved, and that's not really who he is. And I see him play under the likes of uh, Bruce Arians, where he's just letting it rip and just take it as it comes. I want to see how they how they balance that out because last year, I mean, Jameis Winston really you throwing you you finishing games with 170 yards passing. Who, who's this guy? He got a lot more Brett Favre than him than uh, Chad Pennington. You see what I'm saying? So Yes and no. And the only reason I'll, I'll kind of stand up for Jameis in this particular instance is this. The guy that was his number one wide receiver now is not even good enough to make it on the field in three wide receiver sets. So the talent that he is throwing the ball to has been completely revamped. Literally, his best guy from last year can't get on the field now because of the talent that's there. So I'm not going to put that all on Jameis. A lot of those balls were dropped. Um, A lot of those routes didn't seem all that great. And a lot of times there was little to no separation. So I think with the situation changing, we can kind of see a little bit more of what we saw under Bruce Arians where there were multiple no, receivers. I'm not, putting, I'm not putting on Jameis not at all. I'm saying the coaches, they kind of like had him handcuffed last year. You can watch, If you watch Saints games last year, they were holding him back is what I'm saying. Because he so didn't I'm have not, anybody to throw the ball to. Like with Olave out there and Michael Thomas injury free, and we'll talk yeah, about him. And but again, I want to see how this OC is. He going to make Jameis be more of a game manager, or is he going to let Jameis go? Possibly, I think actually Kamara's suspension could end up helping Jameis's fantasy wise because you aren't going to be able to depend on the run the way you can when Kamara is back there. So I could see him actually becoming a little bit more comfortable and throwing the rock a little but, bit more than he would if Kamara was there. Although Kamara is great out he, of the back. Yeah, like, he make, yeah, that's he way more dangerous. No, hell no. Like, he's no, way he, more dangerous. So he'll, he'll become more dangerous as the season goes along because Kamara's coming back. But what I'm saying is to start out, I'm not going to have the faith in a Mark Ingram or a Malcolm Brown or um, whoever the just guys that they have there. So but, I can see them leaning on Jameis a little bit more, which is going to that doesn't make help. the OC. No, what I'm saying is because they're going to come way more one-dimensional, right? You're not afraid of Mark Ingram and these other guys coming out of the backfield doing nothing else. They're barely even right. good runners at this point. So defenses are play him accordingly. Everybody fading the hell back. Now, now niggas dropping seven and just rushing forward. That's not good for him. I'd rather really Kamara that be there right off the top and I mean, make these defenses obviously pick their poison. That or not, but I'm just yeah. saying I think that it's it's not going to hurt him fantasy wise the way we think it would because I don't even believe that with the talent that they have out there, even if they're pass heavy, it'll be one dimensional because they can get it deep. They can get it across the middle. They can do the quick route. Uh, If they want to certify someone as their quote unquote Debo guy, Landry is kind of good at that. He's great in the slot. So they they just have a lot more options is what I'm saying. I kind of see that this guy has been kind of slept on based on where his current ADP is. So 
he, he'll probably be someone that that I'm targeting. But but Joe, did you do you know anything yeah, as far familiar? as the OC is concerned? Are you familiar with him at all? Yeah. So Pete Carmichael has been with them for 14 years, but that doesn't say much because Sean Payton has always called the plays for the most part right, of the season. Right. He's been more so relying on us as QB specialist, and he's been versed in like almost as a passing game a coordinator slash assistant in that effect. And to Vander Point, we saw a heavy really, you know, conservative play calling last year. But also to your point, they, they do have now Alave, Laundry, and Michael Thomas, who should be ready um, come week one. So it's, it's a versed group. But what we both all both discussed has been the running back group. With no Kamara, this is a one-dimensional team. And regardless of how many receivers you have, you know, most of, you know, any scheme or anything like that, those step, those step backs and those drop backs are based upon the skill set of the play that you have. And to your point, Ingram and none of them can really do what Kamara does. So that's going to kind of limit them because now, you know, they're going to see a lot more pressures and things that nature, which led them to be ineffective regardless of, of the talent around them. So we all have to see, you know, I'm not too big on Kamara. I think they should have definitely went in the draft and got somebody in the earlier rounds, you know, to kind of do something different. Everybody's slow fuck on this team <laughs> they need somebody that does something a little bit different have you have you seen chris olave run i'm talking about running back i'm not talking about oh oh, oh okay 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 yeah okay, they, they, okay. everybody's slow as fuck at running back so i wish they would have got somebody a different skill set do something different because if they miss kamara for several games that's a huge huge loss for them as a team they've had a couple of running backs come in so i can see that this being a team that will kind of vulture a guy once these camp cuts and things of that yeah, nature start happening. That. Okay, so here's one for you. Miles Gaskins in that offense. Oh, I like that. <laughs> what about That's the kid? Fit. What about the kid Johnson from the Browns? Yeah, Dearness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I like the There's several man. running backs that are kind of buried on the depth chart that can come out and really take that spot. Um I not not take it from Kamara, obviously, but really give them more than a sufficient backup. Because he could definitely step in that Mark Ingram role. When Kamara does Absolutely. come back, and, you exactly. know, yeah, I like Dearness for sure. Um, Miles, like you said, there's going to be a slew of those guys. I, I definitely can see that the Saints definitely um, picking up one of these cuts and, and bringing them in for sure. I can definitely see that. Even some rookies oh, out there that hey, Ronald probably. Ronald Jones. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Ronald perfect. Jones would be a good fit. He's on the bubble Absolutely. as well. Continuing on with New Orleans, head coach Dennis Allen also said that Michael Thomas is looking outstanding so far in camp. There's a little bit of a progression that's going on with him. They aren't giving him the 100% full load yet, but seven on sevens, um, he's looking like his old self. The quote is Thomas might not be 100% quite yet, but he's close enough that if there were games this week, he'd be able to play and go out and be able to look like himself. So we're still having a month left prior to the season starting. I can see Michael Thomas being the old Michael Thomas, which makes him a stupid value for wide receiver. You might be able to get a wide receiver one in like, what, the fifth, sixth round? It'll probably go up a little bit if they allow him to play in preseason and they kind of, you know, you you see him working. But if they don't play him in preseason, Michael Thomas may literally present one of the wide receivers with the most value of the entire draft this year. My humble opinion. No, definitely, man. His ADP is very low. He's definitely, if he can get anywhere back to his old form, I mean, he's definitely a steal. I'll be looking out for him. With the way I draft, he'll be a guy I'll be looking out for late. 
honestly uh, feel like he should have been handed surgery. Like I said, he's one of those workout warriors that I would put in that top percentile with, you know, the Ecklers, D, you know, not Debo, but DKs and stuff like that. People that really put time into the gym. He's a he's a freak of nature. So for him to be doing some of the things he was doing after surgery, I'm not surprised that he's he's really working out well in camp. This, like you said, the value there is tremendous. Like everybody got to forget, he's not just a good player on the field, but how he prepares for the game is crazy. What he does, his regiment is like really up there, one of with the greats as far as preparing. I know Jerry Rice is a great, but this dude go hard as far as the gym and just working out and perfecting his craft and being in optimal shape. So you can take him with confidence this year, just seeing how he how well he's recovered from surgery as opposed to just nursing the, the foot injury in Kansas City. Ricky running back Isaiah Pacheco, I think is how to pronounce his last name. He's lighting up camp. He may be one of the guys that makes Ronald Jones, aforementioned Ronald Jones, expendable. As of right now, they're saying that he has Kareem Hunt traits. That's the direct quote. Um, He has a gear that the other guys currently on the team just don't have. That's major when looking at where Kareem Hunt started, how he started. Um. CEH gets hurt all the time. And if this guy can get in there and get behind that passing game and just get a little bit of daylight, who knows? I mean, Reed knows, Andy Reed knows the type of guys that he needs. It doesn't matter what he's one of those coaches that you can't really look at the round that a guy is drafted in. He knows the traits and the abilities that need to be present for you to be able to flourish in his offense. And it's looking like he's showing and proving again that his second round rookie draft pick was much more valuable than the round that he was drafted in. So uh, he was actually a guy that's been draft stock been going up ever since the East West Shrine game. I honestly kind of looked over it, but didn't think much of it. But he's always been consistent, even going through there, standing out and kind of being one of those guys that was spoken about throughout the whole draft process. The thing that I will have to kind of wait and see, and I normally don't have any wait and see objections with, with rookies. You know, I love my rookies. Um, just that McKinnon and Gore is still there. But to your point, his skill set is definitely unique, and he really brings the much-added speed to that offense. I know McKinnon is still one of the faster running backs in the league, but this kid has, like I said, all the tools in the tool shed. And, and to finish off your statement, Reed knows what he needs in a running back to you know make things work. And I see, I can't say I see Hunt in him because he's much faster and much explosive. But I think that's a good comp to how you could use him if he was ever to start on the field. But he's just so explosive. I think um if he were to get the opportunity, yes, but I would have to be reserved only because of McKinnon and Gores on the team. And lastly for the news, we're gonna address elephant in the room. We finally got a decision on Deshaun Watson and we now don't have a decision again. So this is, um, it's just getting old for me at this point. And at some point, I guess you got to kind of look at it from several different perspectives. I understand the NFL attempting to show their no longer indifference to the needs, rights, and laws that concern the treatment of women in the workplace and things of that nature, which I'm all for that. I think we find ourselves in a very interesting conundrum right now because there's, you know, the amount of women that were there, all that kind of good stuff. Okay, cool. 24 complainants. Okay, cool. There are also 24 grand jurors who said nothing to see here. Then we have a federal judge who's a female 
who said that, yes, this is not what we want to see. This does definitely fit the bill of going against the NFL's integrity process, but based on how others have been suspended and based on the precedents that have been set previously, this is the number of games that I see as being fair. So now what the NFL does is they say, well, to a certain extent, they're basically saying, well, we're going to go with the court of public opinion and disregard the 24 grand jurors and disregard the federal judge's opinion all to attempt to appease opinions of others who are putting themselves in a situation that is not ordinary. What I mean by that is this. People are saying, well, what if it was your mom? What if it was your sister, your cousin, your coworker, et cetera, et cetera? My mom, sister, daughter, et cetera. First of all, if they find themselves in a room with a man who is making sexual advances towards them and they don't want it, they're going to attempt to walk out of the room. That's number one. None of these women testified that they even attempted to walk out of the room or we'd be having a completely different court case. Because if he attempted to keep them in a room that they were trying to get out of, that's now kidnapping with a federal mandatory minimum. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. So all I'm saying is at the end of the day, there are a lot of opinions. We don't know the evidence. 24 grand jurors and a previous judge have seen the evidence and have given their opinion on it. And at some point, you kind of have to let the system do what it's supposed to do. The system states that, well, we're going to have this independent arbiter kind of tell us what direction we should go in. That way, it, the onus isn't on the player to feel as if they were done dirty. The onus isn't on the commissioner to feel as if he laid too little or too much of a punishment. Well, if you're just going to say, if you don't get the punishment I want you to give, I'm going to just take it out of your hands and let somebody else hear the same argument that you just heard that I know will give a longer suspension. Then what was the point? The, the whole system is a farce. Like, so that's where, especially when you have Daniel Snyder that has done what he's done. Yes, and you. you're talking about, you know, all this about, you know, how, how you feel about women and how you want to prove that, you know, you're in there. Well, it seems like you only keep that energy as it pertains to the players, because Robert Kraft has been in a very similar, a very similar situation as what Deshaun Watson is going to. You burnt that tape, didn't give him any punishment at all. Daniel Snyder is yet to be punished at all. Your boy uh, Ross down in Miami, different situation. He literally got caught cheating, attempting to lose and tampering, attempting to bring the greatest quarterback and what some would say one of the greatest active uh, coaches to his team, having conversations that shouldn't be had. And you give him a month long suspension, a million and a half dollar fine. What's good for the goose should be good for the gander. And I can just see the NFL screwing this up to the point where they end up going to federal court. Court does the same thing they did with Tom Brady by saying, well, until we give a ruling, you have to let them play. And then this doesn't end up going to court till sometime next year. And we already have seen what a federal judge and 24 grand jurors have to say about the evidence on hand. So this may mess around and end up being where the NFL can't suspend him because it's no longer on them to decide whether or not he can't go to work. I don't know this, this, I'm, but I'm just kind of over the whole thing, regardless of what end of the spectrum the opinion falls on. This is a black eye for the NFL, for Roger Goodell, um, the NFLPA. They, they, they messed up on this one again. Just shows how much power they gave this one man. So they came out with something where they find an arbitrator, some third party, this former federal judge, a female, I might add, says, "Hey, no fine." Six games. That's all I see here. What, 14, 16 pages report, whatever it was. 
Yep. And just because you don't like it, which you probably don't really give a damn, but again, you don't want all these female support groups marching in New York in front of your building every morning. You're going to say, nah, we need to do something about this. And this is the very first. How do you appeal the very first verdict from us? Very first. From something. You that, just hired her. Yeah. Like this is something y- y'all chose this person. Y'all was in agreement. This is how it's going to go. And now the very first time it doesn't go your way. Oh, pff, nah. Again, you're essentially saying you you see more integrity in the 24 masseuse than you see in the judge. Again, man, Goodell wanted to be judge, jury, and prosecutor. You know what I mean? Well, laying down the law. You know what I'm saying? He wanted to be all three phases. And it's just not cool. I, I guess they thought he was getting away from that with this new thing. But again, not so much because he can go. And then not only, so it's like a setup, to be honest with you. Watson is kind of exactly. like between a rock and a hard place because not only can they appeal it, but they get to choose the person. Exactly. Like, so lose, lose. So then you get to choose the person that you want to hear it all over again. Yep. And it's so and funny. The person that, that was chosen, they already chose the person. So it's not going to be Goodell. But the guy that they chose, he's known to be heavy. He was chosen for a reason. I'll put it like that. Right. He, he uh, knows but, his assignment. I'll put it that way. But that's like, come on. Like, it's they setting you up for failure. And, and most judges don't usually go over another judge what they come up with. But in this situation, hey. It's a, yeah, like, <laughs> it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. It's awful, man. I, I just I just hate it for Deshaun, man, because he put it behind him. Number one, this guy was not found to do anything. Let's, let's, let's go back to the basics. I don't give a fuck it, how sick this guy is. There was nothing fine criminally against him to get him locked up or charges pressed, anything criminally at all. That's all I need to hear. If he can't go to jail for any of these things he did, I don't give a damn. You walked in the room, he's fucking a pig. I don't care. <laughs> if... If, if it's not criminal, I think that's illegal though. <laughs> I'm just saying though, if the court say, "Hey, this not illegal," who gives a fuck about the public opinion? Like you, you care about your morals and what you think, and oh, this is so precedent, and using all these words to make it right to 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 swerve it their way. Nah, he wasn't he wasn't convicted criminally. At that point, I don't want to hear nothing else. I really don't care. He didn't even go to court. We're not even talking about conviction. There wasn't yeah. enough evidence for a trial. Not a trial. Mm-hmm. In in Texas, two different... I mean, look, I don't think y'all really understand. Two different grand juries in Texas said not enough for a trial. That's right. that's heavy. That is just as heavy as the fact that there are 24 complaints. I digress. We all see the, the commonality in this. Sure. I just feel like, can we stop saying that these motherfuckers are masseuses already? What? Like you said before, <laughs> what place has 66 fucking masseuses? Never. <laughs> What? It doesn't exist. First of all, a lot of them gave them more than one massage. Not everybody was crying after it was done. Some of them was waiting for the next opportunity. The ones that the, the one lady that cried after it was over didn't say no or attempt to walk away during the fact. So we're saying, well, he had to know it was wrong. She cried. Yeah, after it was over, the damage was done. And, and several of these, I think I want to say four to six of these women, I can't remember what the number was, but Several of them had sexual relationships with other Texans players as well. This was not your grandmama, your auntie, your sister, your cut. No, y'all, y'all putting you putting your feelings into it versus looking at it for what it is. Like, like I definitely no, agree. My, my daughter would not be sitting there massaging him while he playing with himself to begin with. Like, like what, what, what do you, you you don't you don't walk away from that if you don't want to see it. Like you don't even attempt to walk away. That would be, again, a completely different court case. If one of them just attempted to walk out the door and he blocked, that's kidnapping at that point. 
Right. Is it the onus on you to at least say no and to try to walk away? How is he supposed to know how you feel deep inside? You didn't say shit. That's all I'm saying. But again, man, when it comes to these sexual cases, whether it was Mike Tyson and whoever, anybody over the years we've been looking in sports, if a female does not want the predator (laughs) to go to jail, they just want some money. That shit is automatically thrown out for me. Period. Because if someone did something to you, you should feel away. You should want justice. He's an animal. You should want him locked up. But these women don't want that. Give me two hundred. Well, they can't have it. Give me two hundred percent. They can't have it. But so even then, but I, even but even then, though, they don't complain until think about it. They only complain when one comes out, and it goes from one to forty and overnight because oh shit, that's a check. Well, they see it as an opportunity. The it's like the, bro, it's similar. The, the Texans like have tech. no punishment at all. The Texans right. have no. We're not talking about them at all. Another, another, another instance where the owner or the team has no punishment, and the whole onus is on. They knew they got sued too in the same lawsuit. They, they settled, settled all those twenty-four cases, thirty cases, not twenty-four. So they had more cases against them than Deshaun did. Deshaun only had twenty-four, but yeah, the Texans get no punishment. Come on, man! But but, he, but my, he settled too. It's like so a class. It's like a class. It. It's a class action suit. That's how it boils down. That's what it's like. It's, right. it's like those right. infomercials you see. If you use such and such baby powder yep. between the years of nineteen ninety and, and you have, you may be entitled to. That's the same shit. Like, yeah, I had sex with him. Hell, I may be entitled to some money. Exactly. And that's all it is. At and when day. one of the ladies' son, her son, came out and said, "You had nothing bad to say about this man after your interactions with him. You bragging to people about that you this was the dude that you massaged." And as soon as Tony Busby said it might be some money on the table, now you feel some kind of way? Right. Come on, man. <laughs> I just got to say, that's all I I say is like, to your point, that the Texans have already settled 30 of those, those women already. Like you said, for them to not have no punishment whatsoever. But what pisses me off is like Darren Sharper raped chicks. Right. There was no question. Yeah. What he did was disgusting, and I'm glad Correct. he's behind the jail cell. Correct. We're talking Correct. about something we're talking about paying for pussy you know i'm sorry to, to for the viewers that <laughs> hear this but this is how black and white it is he paid for some pussy like i i don't think like y'all said like it's this big of a deal like in my person compared to a dance night like the people looking like costa rica and everything like that stuff and what he prostituted literally prostituted his cheerleaders and literally had several um sexual assault cases with women on the staff which he settled for millions at that. Like and then dodge Congress. I didn't even know you could do that. How the fuck makes you tell Congress sick. no? What <laughs> makes it sick is Goodell sat there, he had the full investigative report and only sent Congress a summary. And then when asked to give him the get on the full report, he just said no. But yet you want to come after Watson with all this energy. But look how you do all you your TI point, the owners and everybody else, like y'all don't do shit. What's a million and a half to billionaires? Like you you really fucking up like the yacht money a month, but you know like that's nothing. That's like that's like charity for them, and I feel like that's you know it's horrible that they doing Deshaun like that. But we gotta wait. It's so funny, right? Like Ben Roethlisberger, mm, he yes. got sentenced. To, he now that was some rape, right? You know what I'm saying? He got a six game suspension that was appealed and went down to four games. So but you never shit, see that on the memes when you're talking about how people went down. 
So this guy got six. You trying to increase it to a whole year? Come on, man. You, you tripping. Which is the precedent that the, the judge was basing it on. I can't I can't sit here and say on one hand right. with the guy that, you know, did what he did, only got four, and there was no semblance of rape in this at all, and you want to give him a year? Or, well, not even a year, indefinite. That's the conundrum she found herself in. As bad as this is, it's not that. Right. And you gave him that. Right. And it's still the same. I, I want to say it's still the same CBA. I may be wrong on that. But I, I want to say it's the same CBA. Yeah. That is what it is until it isn't. And when it isn't, we'll talk about it again. With that being said, it pretty much wraps up your news. Let's go ahead and hop into the rest of these running back tiers and your tight ends. All right, so we are going to go ahead and kick it off with tier six through eight of your running backs. We're pretty much going uh, right around 80 running backs deep. That's about what you're going to see in most of your leagues as far as when you get into the tail end of the draft and things of that nature. So we kind of want to guide you through the guys that we think are going to be in a similar position. You can go back and listen to tiers one through five if you didn't have the opportunity to hear those. We'll go ahead and kick it off with Joe. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start off pretty saucy. So my, my tier six starts with uh, James Robinson, Damian Pierce, Zamir, the Zeus White, Hunt, Pollard, Melvin Gordon, Patterson, Henderson, James Cook, Kenny Walker, Isaiah Spiller, Khalil Herbert, Mark Ingram, and Michael Carter as my tier six. We have a good bit of the same running backs. And again, this isn't a ranking show. It's tiers. We're saying that we feel that these guys will, depending upon the way the wind blows, end up right around the same as their counterparts here within the tiers. So with me, uh, that's James Cook, Ronald Jones, Michael Carter, Daryl Henderson, Damian Pierce, Alexander Madison, Isaiah Spiller, Gus Edwards, Jamal Williams, Rashad White, Raheem Mostart, Deontay Foreman, Khalil Herbert, Zamir White, and Daryl Williams. Well, actually, there's two guys I want to bring a little bit of attention to, and it's for the same reason. Daryl Williams out in Arizona, he has an opportunity to kind of be the Chase Edmonds to James Conner to start. But James Conner hasn't always been the healthiest, so I kind of feel like he's going to be one of those handcuffs that even if I, I I might not actually even get my cuff, but I'll get James Conner's cuff because that offense in that particular situation, I feel is going to be quite valuable by years in. Also, kind of the same scenario, Daryl Henderson being Cam Akers' backup being that offense, being that his coach has already said that he kind of looks at them as 1A, 1B, and he feels as if he has two starters. Looking at what Henderson was able to do in the absence of Carter, I can kind of see him having value independently, even if Cam doesn't, excuse me, not Carter, um, Akers. But I can see him having value even if there isn't an injury. But if there is, he instantly becomes a tail in running back one and running back two. What you got, Vander? At this tier right here, Marlon Mack. I have Michael Carter here. Raheem Mostert. Naheem Hines. James Cook. 
uh, Alexander Madison. I have Kenneth Gainwell here. He's a guy that you really want to we get into that in a second. And I have uh, Tyler Allegier right here as well. Um, uh, Kenneth Gainwell, pretty interesting. Um, seems like in camp, he's starting to receive first team reps. Um, so that's that's definitely something to, to watch. So he definitely like he's going to be in the mix. Uh, apparently, Miles Sanders, they're maybe not, still not sold on him. What they got against that dude, man? I don't <laughs> he know. Young, he talented. They, he button heads with somebody. So that's he something to watch. So got to be. And, and, and far and Tyler Allegier, we talked about him a little earlier in the show. I like him here uh, because I think he's the real running back that's in the room. Uh, of course, they still have uh, Damian Williams there, who's going to be maybe on the bubble trying to make the team. He's been looking good. He even had a little clip where he he, he ran, he bulldozed one kid in practice. So he's looking strong, looking good. They have really no running game because I really don't consider Cordell Patterson really a running back. So I think he's the guy. I think. So as far as value, if you zero running back, these are the type of guys that you can get that can very well be starters on your team. It's also starters on a team, and you can still maybe get some good production on your fantasy team. Completely agree. I actually have Kenneth Gainwell headlining my tier seven, so we're right there. But the thing that I don't like about the Philly offense right now is that they're a true committee. Like Boston Scott got seven, eight carries a game. Gainwell got his carries. Sanders didn't get enough carries. They're confusing to me. That they're, they're they're almost, in my opinion, worse than the Patriots situation because at least you know you kind of know what you know about the Patriots backfield. Whether or not it's going to be the guy that catches the ball out of the backfield, depending on the defense you're going against, or if it's the guy that goes you know to the outside based on the defense you're going against, or the guy that goes up the middle based on the defense you're going to get. If you look at the defense and you look where their weakness is, you can kind of figure out which running back should get shine that week with the Patriots with Philly. There seems to not really be much of a rhyme or reason to who gets what and when that's the only thing that I'm looking at. Now Sanders does get nicked up. So if Gainwell is first up and you can get him late, late, and he's going to have independent value, I definitely understand why he would be in your tier six. And that's why he's headlining my tier seven. I actually have both Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott in tier seven. I also have Naeem Hines. Mark Ingram, Sony Michelle, J.D. McKissick, Brian Robertson Jr., and Tyrion Davis-Price. So, again, with Hines, we kind of talked about him in the news, so you kind of see why he would have independent value as well as I think he would kind of maintain his role if Taylor were to get hurt. They kind of brought in a couple of guys that are more suited for that workload or more suited for that style of running. So I think his value is going to kind of remain the same. He'll get a little bit of an uptake if there were to be an injury. But Mark Ingram obviously has the upside of right now we're thinking Kamara will be suspended for four. Right now they're saying four to eight games, but we don't even know if court is going to happen or if this is going to be one of the situations where the NFL decides that they can go ahead and make a decision before the court decides what's what. They kind of have the purview to do whatever they want, however they want with that particular situation. But that's what I have for tier seven. Uh, my tier seven is kind of big as well. So I got in there uh, Jamal Williams, Ramon J. Stevens, Ronald Jones, Devin Singletary, Gainwell, um, Hines, Gus Edwards, Mostart, Madison, um, McKissick. We got White. Obviously, we got Ingram, Deontay uh, Foreman, Brian Robinson, Jr., Eno Benjamin, 
Pierre Strong Jr., Hassan Haskins, McKissick, and Matt Breida. I think of those, I like really to kind of look at Brian Robinson Jr. If it ain't said already that Gibson ain't the dude or might not be the dude, I don't know how much you could take from somebody. Like, he's already going to lose out on the goal line. McKissick obviously is who he is. And they're also talking about reducing his, his snaps per game. I think Gibson played through a, a, that shin injury like a boss. But I think he knew his job was on the line, so he kind of gritted it out and was fairly productive. But I love Brian Robinson. Um, just having the chance. We all see him in Bama. We've seen him at the highest of highs. And he actually split it a, a little bit of snaps during the season. So you couldn't get a full take on him. But what I can say is uh, he's just not a goal line back. He has uh, really good hands as well. And he also is a decisive runner to his game. It's, he has the great pad level, acceleration, good tangibles to where I can honestly see him getting more than goal line usage. And I just see his value as a watchless player. You can literally get him for free and redraft. And I like that about him. But he is somebody to pay attention. He's more than just a goal line back. He fell in the draft, which was weird, but it's tons and tons of value because it seemed like Gibbs is not the guy there anymore. Start off, I have uh, Ronald Jones. I have uh, Jamal Williams here. Daryl Henderson, Gus Edwards, Isaiah Spiller, Keon Drake, uh, J.D. McKissick, Mark Ingram, Rashad White, Brian Robinson Jr., Deontay Foreman. Darrell Williams, Damian Pierce. By season's end, this guy could probably be the RB1 in, in that situation. Jerick McKinnon here, Sony Michelle, De'Ernest Johnson, Terion Davis-Price. I have Kuba Hubbard here, Zamir White. We watched Zamir White play last night. Looks good. We've seen some, you know, glimpse of how he looked at Georgia. It seems like to me this is going to be a committee off the rip. I don't think Jacob's going to be the man just by himself. I think that Patriot way is going to has made its way to Las Vegas. Precisely. And, and I, I really think there's going to be some games where he's probably the lead dog and vice versa. So even some Amir Abdullah, uh, we see him score yesterday, but they've been talking pretty good about him in camp as well. So I think it's a full-blown committee in Las Vegas. I think uh, Abdullah uh, might be James White. Possibly. Possibly. Well, I said, like I said, this list, man, I like Damian Pierce right here. He could very well be the value. It's funny because he's getting drafted higher than Mac, even though Mac should probably be the day one starter. But by year's end, I guess people are going with that 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 thought process. So, so uh, if you're going zero RB, you can get both of those guys quite easily. You just have to kind of set it up that you don't get sniped, but you might want to go around earlier on both, but you can get both of those guys kind of later in redraft. And you have the the entirety of that backfield to count on. And it's crazy. Like, in this NFL, you know, running back, we, injuries happen. And a lot of these guys, man, one injury away from being something special. So that's one thing also to, to watch um, when you get down in this in, in this level. I mean, these guys are in this level because of the pecking order. But one injury, man, and they're, they're at the top. Now they the lead dogs. And that's kind of how my – Tier eight is set. These are the guys that, in all honesty, if they're given the opportunity, they could really do something with it. In this tier, I have Kenyon Drake, Dearness Johnson, Cuba Hubbard, Shamaji Piran, Trey Sermon, Jarek McKinnon, Miles Gaskin, Matt Breida, James White, Pierre Strong Jr., Keyshawn Vaughn, Hassan Haskins, Eno Benjamin, Zach Moss, Damian Williams, and Jeff Wilson to end the running backs for me. 
for the tier eight. I got a Benny Smith, uh, Snell. I got a Pachico, whatever that guy from Kansas City. I got a Tony Jones Jr., Chris Evans, uh, Kyron Williams, Kenyon Drake, and, Ty and Tyler Ajir. Algier is somebody like we really have to watch. Uh, like I said, like in the episode before last, or maybe last episode, he could be, you know, he could be really high as far as like where you can value him, or he can be exactly Mike Davis. Like he could be either or. That's the the kind of risk you take on him. But I like him uh, fairly a lot. And like uh, to Vanda's point, I really do agree. Cordo Patterson won't be counted on heavily solely as the running back. Uh, they also got Damian Williams there, but I do consider Algier the better talent. So that's how I see that. And then just to touch on Pierce a little bit, I think Pierce, like uh, to Vanda's point, will finish the RB1. It's just his it's just his tangibles, man. You just look at him, and I just have a chance to watch Florida a lot. He does everything the right way, block, run, but he's such an aggressive runner. I like when most people, like most people would beat writers, so like that has that comparison to Chris Carson. You just see that kind of imposing physicality to him, but he's not a slow thumper either. He got wills to him. Just what you hear out of him out of camp and what Rex Burkhead has kind of said, you got to gotta see it, him on the depth chart. But for somebody who's going to be next to free or at the bottom of the draft, you got to take, like like we all said, like a flyer on him because more likely not, he's going to finish out the RB1. He's a great talent. Vander, go ahead and round us out with your tier eight, and we'll go ahead and hop into the tight end tiers. All right, right here we got the boy Khalil Herbert, Matt Breida, Dante Foreman, Boston Scott. I have uh, Samar J.P. Ryan here, Damian Williams, Jeff Wilson, Tra Hilliard, Keyshawn Vaughn, DJ Dallas, Chris Evans, Hassan Haskins, Tyler Batty, Zach Moss, Eno Benjamin. That's about it. Everything after this is just like, you know what I mean, so... So pretty much what we're saying is after you get to the end of the tier eight guys that we put out there, you're probably going to be better off drafting high upside wide receivers versus the running backs that are left that aren't going to do much of anything regardless of how the wind blows. With that being said, let's go ahead and hop into the tight end tiers. Tight ends were only going about 30 deep. I'll go ahead and kick it off with my first tier of tight ends. In this tier, I have Travis Kelsey. Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts. Pitts I have over the likes of George Kittle and Darren Waller because of his situation. He he has the catching ability and the talent of these other guys, but he's in a situation to whereas he is his team's best offensive weapon, hands down, period. I can see them overutilizing him. And I love the fact that he has a bye week in week 14. So barring injury, I'm set there for the long haul. And don't really have to worry about necessarily even having a backup tight end. You just kind of figure out what the waiver has to offer closer to week 14, which by then you kind of already have a pretty good idea of what your playoff picture is looking like as well. So for several reasons, I see Kyle Pitts breaking in to my tier one this year. I agree with you totally. My tier one is the same guys. I have Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and Kyle Pitts as well. Okay. Um, for the same, pretty much for the same things you you spoke on, I think. But I think Kyle Pitts is going to be that deal again. Tight end is just that position you don't touch. Coming out of college, the transition to the NFL is always hard. But like I said in old shows, you have that that one those special ones that come around. It doesn't really you know equate to them. He was that guy. 
a thousand yards receiving rookie year. Crazy. You know, he only had one touchdown. I mean, and that was the thing that made his numbers look, you know, and that's going to change this year. I mean, you're averaging 15 yards per catch. Ridiculous, man. And like you said, he's the best receiver on his team. Early news in camp, no one can hold him. I know it's the Falcons, but well, the, and the Falcons right. actually, and the Fal- but the Falcons actually have one of the better lockdown corners on the low in the NFL. But the kid, I think he's from Clemson. Oh yeah, Terrell. He 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 like AJ numbers, Terrell. He yeah, he's he's a lockdown. Like I can him in everything. Being he he's one of those. But again, in Atlanta camp, nobody can do nothing. This dude's a he's a physical specimen. You can't do nothing with him. So I love him right here. And so these are my three guys right here in this tier. What you got, Joe? I only have two in my tier one, and that's Kelsey and Pitts. And I'm going to just leave it there so we get to tier two. Go ahead and start us with your tier two. So we're going to uh, do Mark Andrews, Kittle, Darren Waller, and uh, Goddard. I'm honestly not too high on Darren Waller. Like, um, even before um, they got all these different weapons, with him, is just a mixed bag, and you can just tell that, you know, injuries are starting to take a toll on his, like, his overall, like, status on that team. Because for a long time, even before, you had, Mar- like, Moro uh, poaching for touchdowns in years past. Then you, with the additions uh, that they kind of made on the offense as well, it just, it, I don't know, I just don't, I just saw him play fairly well in the beginning of the year, and then as the years progressed, it just, like, he just got a little stale to me, like, I'm not. I wasn't going to be heavily on him, but especially because of Devontae and them, I had to just bump him down. I, I wish I put. You know what? I'm gonna move him to my tier three. I'm gonna keep my to Andrews, Kittle, and Goddard, and then Darren Waller gonna be my tier three. I I'm just talking myself to bump him down. I'm really not on him in my tier two. So I got Andrews, Kittle, and Goddard. I can kind of see where you're coming from as far as Waller is concerned. The my thing is speaking on George Kittle. I think he's one of the most talented out of all the tight ends that we've talked about. But the thing that I noticed, if Debo isn't hurt, you don't see that Kittle that won you championships when Debo was hurt. The, the, the offense tends to he tends to be because he's so good at blocking and, and getting Debo and the running backs open. They tend to use him more as a blocker when they have more offensive options. I know that's your squad, Vander. Uh, tell me what you see as far as Kittle is concerned. Yeah, I mean, he's the to me, he's the best tight end in the league, period, as far as, like, the whole combination of being, you know. Agreed. Catching the ball and also being a blocking tight end. Uh, I think we're going to see a little bit more of Kittle, maybe a little bit more of him uh, being that the quarterback change. Maybe that will make a, a, a difference. What I was looking at with the quarterback change, though, is because Garoppolo stayed a little bit closer to the vest, Kittle got more targets. But now having a guy that's willing to kind of push the ball, I kind of felt that Kittle may get a, a but, few less targets now. But that's Kittle, Matt. But Kittle, that's Kittle's game, like yak. Like he's one of those true, yak tight true. ends. Like you know, he, he get the ball, and he start moving. So that could very well. And, and also, this is a rookie, pretty much starting at quarterback. So he he's gonna lean on someone. And most true. times, quarterbacks lean on the tight end. So hopefully. That would be the case here, but the switch to Lance definitely raises concerns here. It comes to George Kittle, so I definitely is see he why. in your tier two? He is, um, because it's still George Kittle at the end of the day. So go, go ahead and give us your tier two. My tier two is uh, George Kittle, Darren Waller. My tier two, um, I actually have three guys here. I have George Kittle, I have Darren Waller, and I also have Dalton Schultz. So my thing with Schultz is he's a necessity. Dallas is getting slaughtered at the wide receiver position right now 
And the main guy that used to be the red zone target, if it wasn't Schultz, was Cooper. And he's gone. So I can see Dalton Schultz getting an ungodly amount of targets in fantasy. Volume is king. And he's also going to be the main guy that they lean on in the red zone, him and the running game. So I can see Schultz kind of by necessity kind of pushing his way into tier two and kind of being ahead of guys that I have in tier three, just because they don't have to be leaned upon as much as he's going to have to be leaned upon. So in tier three, because I had to bump Waller down, I got TJ Hawkinson, Dalton Schultz, Zach Ertz, and Darren Waller. I think this is TJ Hawkinson's uh, bounce back year. We all, we all, it's, I think this is the most obvious one out of all. He really played through the knee injury for the entire year. And then obviously he missed the rest of it with the finger injury. Even though they kind of took him off the designation of a knee injury, if you look at his injury list, which I like anal about doing, he still was limited and questionable throughout the week with the same knee. So that so that it was said that he was over it. He really just played through it because they they needed somebody to be more much of a decoy on that offense. I think a full year back and healthy, he's going to bounce back. I love shows like you said, and just Zach Ertz. I think Zach Ertz year two in this offense is going to be asked to do a lot more. He still got a lot of pep in his step. I, I really think. It's just better for him to go to a pass-heavy offense as opposed to one that favored two tight ends and a 12 personnel with the Eagles. I think now he can take that next step. And without Hopkins being there for the first six games, I think he's going to do relatively well. And Hollywood might be suspended, too. He got arrested for, oh yeah, what was it, criminal speeding or something? Well, uh, he was driving 125 miles per hour or something like that. I don't know all the details on it, but, I mean, he may be facing a, a suspension as well. Hmm. So Ertz, Ertz may be another one of those guys. Volume is king. And um, for the first several weeks, he may be one of the best pass catchers out there. Go ahead and hit us with your tier three, Vander. My tier three, these guys are a lot closer to each other. I have Dalton Schultz here, TJ Hawkinson, uh, Dallas Goddard, uh, Dawson Knox, Zach Ertz, Mike Jasicki. And that rounds off the, uh, the tier three for me. Uh, Hawkinson. Easily a tight end one. A lot of people don't know. I mean, we've seen the emergence of guys like Armand St. Brown, right? But those games that Armand St. Brown was emerging, this guy wasn't on the field. Swift wasn't on the field. So those two guys, you know, a lot of people don't speak on that when they speak on Armand St. Brown, the emergence. Two of the two guys that I think are maybe ahead of him as far as getting targets was was but not there. So I think TJ just steps right back into this role. Maybe a little bit easier for him this year due to the emergence of Armand and then the addition of the Williams and Williams and then the the chart and things like that because a lot of teams was just taking him away and just that was it. So now with some more weapons on the team and, and Swift being such a great uh, receiver out of the backfield, I think uh, we'll see TJ uh, do well at this spot right here. Dawson Knox little... is kind of scary right here, though. I agree. He's kind of scary. We see him do well. Him and Allen has a, a great rapport. But with the emergence of Gabriel Davis and them adding a tight end as well um, in the offseason, we see how that goes as far as Dawson Knox. We have a lot of the same guys as far as Tier 3 is concerned, but I kind of see things a little bit differently as far as both of your assessments of Hawkinson, so I'll kind of give a different view on that. But in my Tier 3, I have Dallas Goddard, TJ Hawkinson, Dawson Knox, Zach Ertz, Austin Hooper, and Hunter Henry. So 
the thing that I see a little differently about Hawkinson is I see some of the things you guys were naming as this as a disadvantage. When he was the guy and they had to force feed him, he could put up points. But the thing is, as you mentioned, the emergence of Amara St. Brown, Swift not being hurt. Also, they now have DJ Chark. They uh, brought in the, the, the kid from Jameson. Uh, what? Yeah, Jameson uh, from Bama, right? There are a lot more mouths to feed, and you aren't actually the most talented person on the field anymore. So I see him getting quite a bit less volume because he's no longer a necessity. The opposite end of that is Austin Hooper, who right now has the best rapport with Tannehill as far as pass catches is concerned, as far as reports out of camp, and as far as Tannehill has stated himself. I can see him being one of those guys that is going to get double-digit targets every week, and even if he doesn't score a touchdown, he's going to put up double-digit points even in the games that he doesn't score a touchdown. So I can see Hooper kind of sneaking in um, and ending up possibly by years in being better than a TJ Hawkinson or a Zach Ertz because Zach Ertz is only going to have that advantage of that volume for maybe the first quarter of the season or so. So mm-hmm. I think Hooper's going to be leaned on the entire time, and especially in the red zone, it's either going to be him or Henry. That's kind of where I have my tier three. I see what you're saying with the Hawkinson thing, but I think also we got to look at the quarterback. It's still golf, so I think he's still going to lean on Hawkinson as a security blanket. It's not like he's going to be out here just slinging around to all these weapons, these new weapons. But Swift was more of the security blanket than golf when Swift wasn't hurt. Swift had 50, 53 caught balls, even with all the games that he missed. Yeah, I mean, so he, he was check, actually the security blanket. Yeah, he'd check it down to him, but I think Hawkinson will still see way more targets than the likes of Chark, the likes of James, and things like that. Because I agree. But it's but, just a few less than what he would have normally got. And, and on Austin Hooper, for the listeners, say you may have him here in his tier three, but you don't have to draft this guy because he's going in, he's going undrafted in rounds. Absolutely. So don't hear what I'm not saying. You yeah. don't have to draft. I'm just saying points wise. This right, is right. So I just want them to be aware that value like, wise, wow, yeah. like that Hooper yeah. has one of the best values out there because of where you can draft him. Well, yeah, he's absolutely. he's definitely got to have the best value because if you have him as a tier three tight end and he's going undrafted. There's not a better value on this on this list at all, in my opinion. There you go. So <laughs> definitely we talk, we know we speak on the zero tight end. This is this is the guy that's gold, considering if you go with that strategy where you know you fill out your roster and then you take that very last pick or so and say, Hey, I'm gonna grab my tight end now. This would be the guy you probably want to go for because he's going undrafted and, and depending right on what now. happens in preseason, because he catches one touchdown in preseason and his ADP is gonna shoot up. Go ahead and start with tier four, Joe. I have it as uh, Fryermuth, Gasecki, Tunyon, Irv Smith, Cole Komet, Hunter Henry, Higby, and Greg Dolches. I like all of this value uh, in this kind of bunch. More uh, than most is the Greg Dolches one. Like, I don't, I think he's going to be in a split, but that split isn't a bad thing considering how often they use two tight ends. But I really think he's going to blossom really on the later end of the season to where he's going to finish the top tight end on that team. Like, this guy is a wide receiver playing tight end as is, and he's a fairly good blocker. And as we all kind of can take a look at, as far as camp, nobody's really talking about the other tight end. I can literally, without knowing I can't pronounce his name, but I can call him the other tight end because he hasn't really stood out much. Alberto. Yeah, Alberto. 
he really hasn't stood out much in camp. I just like, like I said, Greg Dolce's skill set is going to really mesh really well with Russell Wilson. And being down at Tim Patrick, you're going to kind of get the same size and speed similar to Tim Patrick with Greg. I want to say I saw something. I saw something recently where they were talking up Albert O. Actually, um, after the, like the last couple of practices or something like that. But he has the blocking propensity more so than Dosis. Dosis, like you said, he he's just a he's a pass catcher. He's a big pass catcher is what he is. So I can kind of see where you're coming from from there. Uh, with my tier four, I have Pat Fryermuth as well. Mike Gesicki. Now Gesicki would be a tier three for me, but he has added talent around him as well. So I feel like the targets are going to be minimized, although there'll be great targets because he'll the, the the middle should be wide open for him because of the speed that people are going to be kind of scared of on the outside. So that could end up actually working out for him. And Tua may end up latching on to him because it's the easier read. But I'm just looking at volume and, and the likelihood of touchdowns. And with the guys that he has around him, I don't know where that's going to end up. So that's why I put him in tier four. Um, but I also have uh, Albert O, Cole Komet, who Chicago is another one of those teams where out of necessity, he's going to get volume. He may be the second best pass catcher on his team as far as reliability. David Njoku, Irv Smith Jr., Noah Fant, Robert Tanyan, although he's currently carrying a injury designation. Same thing in Green Bay. He's going to be one of the pass catchers on the field that Aaron Rodgers is most comfortable with, and he has Aaron Rodgers throwing on the ball. And he's actually shown it before. He had a double-digit touchdown season. It's there. You know, whether or not they utilize him in that same fashion again, we'll all find out together. But I think he definitely has the capability, if not injured, by season start to be one of those guys that comes out of nowhere. And to round it out, Gerald Everett, and Tyler Higby that ends up at tight end 22 to round out my tier four. Okay, tier four for me. Round it, um, starting this one off, I got uh, Hunter Henry. I have Noah Fant, Cole Komet, Tyler Higby, Pat Firemuth, Albert O, and I have Irv Smith. I have uh, David Najoko, and that'll be the guys running off my tier four. Hmm. I like Albert O here, but there's so many things coming out of Denver right now with the injury even to Tim Patrick. True. They're saying the guy, Greg DeLucci. De, is it DeLucci? I think De, it's Dolchich, but I'm Dolchich. not sure. We'll verify. Well, yeah, he, a lot of people are saying he may be be more of a fill-in than anybody. So it's just it's strange right now. I, I think this is one of those things we don't know what we're going to see yet. We see all these weapons. We know they got Russell Wilson. Everybody want to see how this thing plays out. Um, it's just so many people. You want to see who he has a rapport with. So I like Albert O, but the Greg, the Greg Deluch guy, he's scary because you never know what's going to happen. Um, they, they, he was drafted for a reason. He's one of those tight ends that can really stretch the field, which we all know that kind of fits Russell's uh, skill set. So Herb Smith, the, the, I mean, we got high hopes for him, but he's already being nicked up already coming off a of knee injury. True. And now he's – Questionable for week one with a with some with a thumb surgery. I have him here, but uh, be you know be cautious with him right here. David Njoko is the guy we talked about. He just got paid. I mean, he's the only show in town with, with Hooper gone. But let's see who his quarterback is. You know what I mean? He's so, gonna be reset for about ten games. <laughs> maybe. Or like you say, with this appeal thing, they making rock this guy out there week one. True. We even we don't even know what's gonna happen. So you have to just stay tuned. 
All right, so my tier four, I got uh, Dawson Knox. At least no particular order, by the way. I got Dawson Knox, Noah Fant, David Njoku, Hayden Hurst, Gerald Everett, Evan Ingram, Brevin jo- uh, Jordan, and Logan Thomas. Just going through this list, believe it or not, I, I, all these guys are probably, most of these guys are going to probably be free. But Hayden Hurst kind of st- stayed out a little bit. I know we kind of get a sour taste in our mouths with like Atlanta, and then with the uh, the Ravens for some time. But I think what he'll be asked to do, similar to Ojima or whatever that guy that just went on to the Jets, I think he's going to be Uzama. asked to do a – Ozan, there we go. He's going to be asked to do a similar thing. And their skill sets are pretty similar. He's a great pass blocker, run blocker. But he still knows – he's still an okay uh, receiver. And I think he's going to have a similar role with them. Um, and Joku, not a big fan of Joku. Like, you can talk money and all that stuff, but I spent a great deal looking at this contract – is not really that great. I think he's going to be serviceable. If he can, like, to me, I think when Joku is, you're going to be asking a lot for him to pay the dividends that you think he got. Because though, even though 54 million sounds like a lot of money, they they gave him the most safest deal you could ever give somebody to move away from him. 2023, 2025, they can move like they can move him next year and still be on the books for him, and it's still not impact them in any way. But I'll unpack that later. But in Joku. He has the propensity to be a, a high, like a high caliber player, but I just don't, I don't, I don't see it. But at the same time, I can see the the, the hyperbole and kind of like the hype on him. And then who else I like in this group? Uh, Dawson Knox. Reason why I'm kind of off him, you gotta look at OJ Howard, just like we was talking about earlier. Like Dawson is great, but you don't get somebody like OJ who's gonna be a red zone hog for no reason. Like if they had gotten any caliber less of a tight end, I wouldn't be on him. And Noah Fant really in Seattle, we don't have much. You know, we got Lockett, we got Metcalf, and Noah Fant really is a standout player to me. I think he might get a huge amount of volume. Everett stood out a lot when we had just Geno on the field, and Geno kind of, t- you know, tapper him with uh, plenty a bevy of targets. I think that might continue. But this list is where it start getting a little sketchy at four. And to round out the rest of my top 30 and tier five, I have Evan Ingram, Logan Thomas, barring his injury designation, Hayden Hurst, Brevin Jordan, Cameron Brake, Mo Ali Cox, Adam Trotman, and Janu Smith. So the one that I'll speak on in this group is Mo Ali Cox. Mo Ali Cox is a mountain of a dude, and Matt Ryan has always had the propensity to, in the red zone, kind of to go to the larger target, if you will. He has the chance. Well, right now he's the starter. He's number one on the depth chart. So if he has any type of a rapport with Matt Ryan at all, you can literally get this guy after the draft is over and you have a starting tight end for Indianapolis with a quarterback that doesn't really have very many receiving options. I can kind of see Moale Cox going under the radar and I can see him being a guy that you can count on week in, week out. By week isn't until week 14. So if you just punt on the position and you just want someone who's going to have a decent amount of consistent volume, Moelle Cox, for me, is the guy in this last tier of guys that doesn't really have any competition for targets just yet at that position. So that's the guy that I do want to speak on from tier five that can easily end up in tier three, should things swing the right way. Okay, rounding off my list, I have Austin Hooper. I say Austin, I'm sorry. Got Logan Thomas here, Robert Tunyon, whenever he returns. Uh, we have Evan Ingram, just uh, Gerald Everett, Hayden Hurst, 
Janu Smith, Brevin Jordan, Mo Ali Cox, Cameron Brait, and uh, CJ Uzama. The one person I want to speak on real quick is Evan Ingram. You know, being on this Peterson, you got to pay attention to the, you know, the OCs like we always say, but Peterson has never coached a team that probably, I don't think he's ever coached a team that didn't have a tight end that finished at least like six and above in fantasy. You know, he's in Philadelphia. Of course, he had the, you know, the Ertz and things like that, but he's a guy that definitely gets the tight end involved in his offensive scheme. So if Evan Ingram can stay healthy, which I think he was nicked up the other day, you know, if he can stay healthy, this can very well be a steal as well. Currently not being drafted in drafts. He's another one of those guys that's floating at the bottom. If he can stay up, stay healthy, he could be a steal because in a Peterson offense, the tight end, in a, in a Peterson offense, the tight end has a, one of the larger target shares in the NFL. Like every year he's coached the tight end. He's always at the top the target share. So that's a guy and that Darren you, Arnold for me was the guy that just didn't make the list because I do right. feel that Evan Ingram may end up getting hurt. But yeah, Darren right. Arnold is right there too. Right. So, and Robert Tunyon, when he returns, we already see the situation that the Packers got going on. So he returned maybe in like late October. He could be a guy here that's a great value. But that's pretty much it for the guys I got here. And Brevin Jordan, he's not announced the starter. I think Farrell Brown is the starter. But this guy's a freak. And if he's the pass catcher, although Brown is the starter. Yeah. I read something that said that he's going to be the one that ends up with the most targets, although, as we forestated, Brown is the starting target. Yeah, given the opportunity, he he could be he could be special. I just think he has to, he has to get the opportunity to play. He'd definitely be a guy to watch. He wouldn't be somebody that would draft, but keep your eyes and your ears open. If you hear injury here, injury there, this would be a guy you might want to grab in Houston. He's under the radar. Not many people know about him. Just definitely keep your, your eyes open to the to the wire and things of that nature. Go ahead and round this out, Joe. I got Harrison Bryant, Cade Oton, and uh, Trey McBride. As far as uh, Dynasty, I think all of these should still be available. Um, as far as redraft, I'll take Oton out of my list and keep Trey McBride and Harrison Bryant. Where Trey is just like, he's just an insurance. Like, he's somebody you can literally just put on a watch list. And God forbid anything happen to Ertz, uh, his productivity is going to be through the roof. This is my who's had 90 receptions in college. Like, this kid, all he know how to do is fucking catch. That's all he know how to do. But he's a fucking bully at it. It's not even just that he just likes to catch. He just has that that physicality where he just bullied the DB, the linebacker, the safety, and he just really nuanced as a route runner. I think being behind Ertz is going to be a detriment to him. So, again, there's nobody to wow you with. It's somebody who's going to be already in free agency. As far as Dynasty, I know he got snatched up in rookie drafts, but – Trey McBride definitely provides value for somebody who you just stay on the waiver wire, you know, and you just need somebody and bar injury. With Harrison Bryant, um, th- th- this was a huge topic of discussion yesterday. But I think what you got to kind of people get kind of lost in is like he's going to be a serviceable backup in the sense where he's going to have weeks of value on that team by default because they use uh, 12 personnel a lot. Uh, it's ridiculous how much they use it. Well, besides Miami is the craziest one, but as far as uh, Cleveland at 22%, and that's with using three tight ends, which is a crazy thing I go to later, his usage and volume is going to go double what he already had. And we just seen how successful he's been in that small sample size. And the thing that they were, they purposely from the draft into from Stefanski, they always went, they went immediately to 13 personnel. So, one running back, three tight ends, and one wide receiver off the bat. 
So they drafted him, and from the bat, they've been in seven. They've been thirteen personnel quite a bit just to get this kid on the field. Now without Austin Hooper and now Joku, obviously they're both moving up again. And Joku doesn't really scare me. And his contract, like if you really look at the numbers, I know that that deal is like it's what you give somebody to make it look good on paper to make it sound good, but the money isn't there like how it, it, you would think it'd be. If he was a really good tight end two-thirds of this contract would be the way that it is. But it's going to, like I said, it's still evens out to both of them having a fair share. How I look at Harrison Bryant, it's not somebody that I'm going to, again, put the bank on, somebody that I will let set, like sit and redraft. And, again, if anything happens to the ghost Njoku, he's not getting his job back the rest of the year. That's how confident I'm in Harrison Bryant and how the organization feels about him, not just me. He presents a lot of value in Dynasty as well because within whether – in two to three years, they're going to get out of Njoku deal. They can get out of it technically before a league date, like post, post-June post designation. They can get up from under him and still pay him next to squabbles because they paid Hooper that kind of money. But anyway, that's my three for the bottom, Harrison Bryant, Odin, and Trey McBride for my five. And that about wraps it up for this week. Next week, we're going to do the draft strategy episode. So, that's definitely one that you don't want to miss. We're going to be able to take you through several different strategies. And it's not so much to pick what strategy you want to use prior to the draft. It just gives you an opportunity to stay water, stay fluid, not go into it thinking I have to do one certain thing. And then you're able to kind of let the draft come to you and you make decisions based on various strategies that you're aware of. You can normally put together the best team by kind of knowing what's going to happen ADP-wise and coupled with the strategy that you go about using. So we use the guard system. We're going to tell you a little bit more about that next week. For you guys that did not hear the draft strategy episode on last year, stay tuned. Be prepared to break out that pad and pen. Outside of that, any parting words, fellas? Peace. We out.